there's a reason why wisdom comes in middle age, because you you knock around and you have your life experiences, and then you reach a threshold where you do have gravitas. I don't think that I would be able to do the job that I do with the efficacy that I that I do it with had I undertaken this at an earlier age. I had not enough impulse control. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 674. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and I'm so happy to have you here today, and I'm thrilled to have our guest with us as well. But before I even introduce her, I want you all to remember that we here behind the microphones are people just like you sitting there listening to us today or ellipticaling, driving, trying not to burn your dinner, listening. We make mistakes. We have bloopers. I just mispronounced our guest company name wrong. And I've mispronounced or even forgotten my own name on my own podcast. So I don't want you all ever to get down when you make a blooper, when you have a mistake in any given day, because those bloopers and those imperfections can provide a wealth of content and learning lessons for your community. So pay them forward, share them with others. With all that though said, our guest today is Noelle Cordo, who is the co-founder of Journey. And the reason why I mispronounced it you know what? I'm not even going to get into that yet, but Noelle, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. It's been a pleasure already. <laughs> We're having fun. Oh, we totally are. I already tripped over my mouth a few times and I know I will a few more, but I I used to be so embarrassed by that. And you're a podcast host yourself, so I would love to dive into podcast just for a quick second, if you don't mind. Sure. When you launched your podcast, did you find yourself being perfectionist with it? No, I didn't. Oh, and, I love that. You know, my story, the story of how I became a co-founder, of how I became a CEO, a podcast host, and a public person was really accidental. I didn't think too much about what it meant or what it would be like to be pushing out into the world and speaking my truth and, you know, joining others and lending my voice to the public consciousness. And then one day it happened and I was kind of like, oh my, <laughs> I'm quite public. Eh? And it wasn't until somebody recognized my voice that I realized, oh, this is a real thing, you know? And so I, I don't take myself too seriously. And my whole brand, our whole company, my own podcast is very irreverent. And we celebrate humanness. Because, you know, all of the messiness is also what makes up the tapestry of our life. And if we're thinking about novels and art and, you know, and what we love, nobody likes a boring story. Mm -mm. But you said a really relevant word, which was push. You hadn't thought about pushing. And I think that's what I was trying to do too hard at the beginning was I was mm. pushing. And as a mom of five, I mean, I've seen... Well, I've seen myself do it, trying to push square pegs through round holes. It's just not going to work. But when we can finally stop pushing and find the pieces that are meant to go together, then it becomes so much easier to get out there. Oh, yeah. 
And that, that flow space, that flow stride, you know, I think for me, at least the foundation of it has been, what do I enjoy? You know, am I doing this for me because I'm genuinely intellectually interested in what I'm talking about? Or am I doing it because I'm trying to showcase some version of myself that I have yet to become? And, you know, when we're reaching to present something versus inhabit it, it's, it's always way harder than it should be. So I think I know what your general thought is on this, but I would love to hear it. What is your thought of the expression, fake it till you make it? I actually really like it. And and I'm coming from a place that you might not expect. I'm coming from the perspective of learned optimism and confidence. And I'm such a positive psychology head. And so where my mind went was, oh, goodness, well, if we're thinking about happiness and extrovertism and confidence and optimism, those are things that we can fake until we make it. And, you know, and I would invite anyone who's listening to consider the future state of making it. You know, what is that like for you? And how will it be so different from where you are now? Because you're living now, you're existing now. So you can kind of, I don't know, try things on (laughs) to see how you like them for sure. But don't try too hard because it gets exhausting. Yeah, that's not at all the response that I expected, but I so appreciate the response that you gave because I hadn't thought about it from that perspective before. The perspective that I had thought about it was from the online influencers who will show the perfect side of their life and not share the imperfect. Oh, yes. Well, that, and I mean, influencers aside, you know, I always like to think of of the systems and not the people and just say, okay, well, you know, what does it mean to live in a world where we have something called the attention economy? whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat or, you know, Slack, where we're looking at small pixelated versions of each other. And everyone is inhabiting these full, gorgeous, complex lives, but all we get are these little tiny pictures. You know, how, mm-hmm. how is that fair to anyone? So going back to the fake it till you make it, I am working right now on so my husband is a video game designer and I am a gamer myself, which can have its struggles with also talking about productivity and automation and how we can make our life work easier. But it it made me start thinking about what next level Kim looks like, you know, as a when we play some video games and I've started gamifying my life to make it just a little bit more fun. What does next level Kim do that I am not currently doing? So I guess with that perspective, I fake it till I make it a little bit just so I can make it real. And it's becoming real the more I do so. So last week, I actually, it was Wednesday. I do work smarter, not harder Wednesday live videos on my Facebook feed. And I've been consistently getting showered, doing, well, not really doing my hair. If I'm going to be totally honest, there are days that I've gotten on and I don't think I've brushed my hair. It doesn't look like it. You would never know, but I look presentable. But on this day, I was in the zone of doing work for clients. The kids went to school. I stayed in the zone. And then I looked at the clock and I realized, oh my gosh, there is no way I'm going to get this video done before the kids get home if I don't just get on as I am right now. So there I was with second day hair 
I am jealous, by the way, of people who can have third or fourth day hair that still looks super awesome. That's not me. Second day hair, bleh. But with no makeup, second day hair, doing my live. And that one has gotten more views and comments back to me than any of the others so far, just because I let the usually unseen side of me with the raccoon eye show. Yeah, I've had that experience too. And it it really makes me, so first of all, I have curly hair, so I'm completely out of luck, like no, no matter what I do with the hair situation. But I guessed it on podcasts where all of a sudden it was video and I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, I wasn't mm-hmm. prepared for that one. And, you know, I do do public appearances on behalf of my company, but what I, what we, we have our own private group for my coaches and what I do intentionally for my coaches is when I do Facebook lives for them, I don't have makeup on and I show up as I typically am day in and day out. And I'm in my home, which is a beautiful home, but it's a modest home because I think it's so easy to curate these images and to hear the words, oh, you know, CEO and to make assumptions about who I am, how I live. And I want to pull the wool back and really humanize myself in all the ways And part of that, especially for me as a woman, is showing up with no makeup on and sometimes wet hair and saying, hey, you know, I just got back from the gym. I walked the dog. I may or may not have had a cup of coffee. And what are we working on today? Love that. And I love it even more so because I'm, I just turned my head. My husband and I went on a date last fall and the older, the older two were supposed to be watching the younger three. Well, apparently whoever's turn it was slacked on his looking over duty and the younger three should know better, but they found my permanent markers and decorated the wall in my office, Ah. including a picture of a hand with the middle finger sticking up. Ah. (laughs) So that is thankfully not the wall that that I use during these. And I want everybody to know that my kids are respectful. I mean... I don't think my littles even know what that means. They just know they shouldn't do it and nobody owned up or maybe it's just a a four to five-year-old's drawing skills. I haven't really pushed it because I didn't want to make it any more than it actually is, but I've shown it because just like you were saying, I mean, we can see the beautiful office pictures or once in a while I can show the big laundry pile that's on the couch because that's life. Oh, yeah. And and usually my dog is sleeping on top of the laundry pile. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've usually got a cat or two. <laughs> yeah. So how did journey come to be? What did that journey of journey look like for you? It's, it's a great story. Um, I have a wonderful business partner, John Kim, who is the angry therapist. And he and I met during a period of time when we were both struggling. I'm on the East Coast. I'm in Philadelphia. He's on the West Coast. He's in Los Angeles. He's a writer. He's a podcaster. He's a coach. He's an influencer. And at the time, he was really struggling because he needed some structure to his organization. And in his own words, he felt like a plant that had outgrown its pot. And I got divorced when I was 29. And I set about rebuilding my life at a very tender age and position. And I was just to the point where I had decided to become a coach. I had gone through coach training. I was engaged in graduate school, a PhD in human sexuality. And I was really struggling to get my business off the ground, even though I had such a strong voice and I'm a good writer. I read an article that John wrote 
And at the bottom, instead of saying how great he was, he had a really humble call for help and said, I need help. I need coaches. I'm struggling. And I emailed him, a stranger, complete stranger from across the country and said, hey, John, that was really humbling to see you write that. And I'm a coach and I'm a writer and here's my credentials and here's my story. And he wrote back to me and said, you're a really good writer. Can you join my team? And that was the beginning of a peanut butter and chocolate partnership where he jumps off cliffs and I run behind him building the structure. And he's a visionary in many ways. And then I'm the analytical Virgo that asks a million questions. So what we discovered was that it's really hard. And this was about, this was almost seven or eight years ago um, when coaching was really emerging. It's really hard to do things on your own. It's hard to do things without a partner. It's hard to do things without community. So we set out to build a community-based organization that we wished we had when we started out. So it is ICF accredited evidence-based training, but there's also a really vibrant community of coaches that literally hold and support each other and motivate each other and keep each other going that is life-giving. And we've let it grow organically over the years. And now we're in our third iteration of the company, profitable, successful. I ended up making the very hard choice to leave my PhD to take over the company. I became a CEO when I was 36 with no business background whatsoever and have been successful because we lead from a heart-centered place. That makes my heart glow just hearing, especially the end part that you lead from a heart-centered place because I've seen, and I work almost exclusively with business and life coaches. And I've seen so many organizations that lead from a money-centered place and not a heart-centered place. But as I've, I don't want to say built walls, but become super clear that I want to work with the heart-centered business and life coaches, the rest are sort of fading away and I'm attracting more. The differences are just night and day. Sometimes it feels like. I agree with you. And, you know, I think too, as we're looking at folks with compassion and empathy, it's really scary to shed those robes and mantles of what we've all been taught and conditioned to aspire to. You know, the big house, multiple cars, the career to gain, 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 gain. And what I think society is starting to look at is at what cost? You know, we have epidemic levels of loneliness. We have epidemic levels of depression, heart disease, isolation is killing people. And their society is really fragmenting. People don't know their neighbors. We're losing touch with how to live in community, how to make eye contact with each other. So, you know, there has been a grave cost to the chasing the almighty dollar in many ways. And so, I, you know, the way that I approach this is, look, we all need to live. Money is a tool. Um, it has an energy to it. It can flow with abundance. And, you know, we need to be thinking about it in terms of creating a life versus gaining riches. You have me thinking because there was a point when I went from income-based 2016 and I hit my lowest low in my business in 2016. Everything that you just described anxiety, mm. depression. I was suicidal in my business in 2016 mm. to making the shift to being 100% impact 
And then thanks to my podcast, I was having this discussion with a guest who said, well, why do you have to choose one or the other? And I hadn't really thought about how focusing on impact could lead to greater income. Because when you're really living into your heart-based work, it shows and the referrals flow. Oh, yeah. And what I found, yeah. And what I found was that by doing better work because my heart was in it, now this is hard for me to say considering I do marketing for clients, that I'm not relying on my marketing to do lead generation for me. It's my work that does lead generation for me. And, you know, I think I I agree with you and I experienced something very similar in my private practice. I have a hundred percent referral based private practice. And then for journey coaching with, which is a large company, we do rely heavily on marketing, but it's really leaning into the authenticity of the message where we're not interested in selling anyone anything. We're interested in finding folks who need what we provide and making an equitable and mutually based exciting connection. Well, for people who aren't familiar with ICF, could you talk a little bit about that? I'm familiar, but I know that quite a few listeners may not be. Yeah. And and I think it's important to kind of peel back a little bit Mm -hmm. at the start of this conversation and, and broaden it out to, you know, what, what is accreditation? What are accrediting bodies? How do they function in many fields, not just coaching? So the best way to kind of look at our present time and even understand the future is to look to the past and look at past patterns. So in the world of coaching, probably the most visible comparison is therapy. So everybody's familiar with the fact that therapists are quote unquote licensed and there is an accrediting body. There are many accrediting bodies depending on what branch of therapy or counseling you might be in counseling, social work, therapy, psychiatry. There are different boards and accrediting and licensing bodies for um, all of the different disciplines. So when you train to become a therapist, you go to graduate school and you do the coursework that teaches you the theory, the framework, and the intervention. There is an accrediting body that takes a look at that graduate program and says, yes, this is legit. This is worthy of study. This will prepare you for the work that you want to do. Once you are through and you are done your training and your education, although education is never quite done, to become credentialed, there is a separate process. So education comes first credentialing comes second. The same is true of coaching. So where where therapy is, or was probably 40 or 50 years ago, coaching is now. So in 1977, that was when all of the states in the US were first on board with accreditation and licensure for therapists. And it wasn't until 1987 that everybody was finally grandfathered in and the process actually started in the 40s and 50s. So it took a long time to kind of bring the entire field together with standards and ethics. And coaching is at the point where there are a couple of organizations who are just now really starting to gain traction in creating recognizable standards and ethics for the field. And the ICF is one of five 
organizations globally that has a significant foothold, a significant following, and is an accrediting body where they look at coach training programs and say, yes, this is in line with the core competencies. This is in line with the standards and ethics of the field. So the ICF stands for the International Coaching Federation, and they accredit coach training programs. And then once someone has gone through a coach training program, which gives you certification, if you choose, you can then go on for credentialing through the ICF to get a deeper cut of credentialing to present yourself. I absolutely, I'm a fan of this because I have personally worked with ICF coaches or ICF accredited coaches and non-accredited coaches. And when I started my business in 2012, I saw so many people who had maybe been in business for six months or 12 months start to call themselves coaches, but with no accreditation. And I know this is positive productivity, but I do believe that having a coach is what took my business. Oh, I know it's what took my business to each of the next levels that I've reached so far. And the coaches that didn't necessarily have accreditation didn't do as much as the ones who did. Yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, you know, again, it's like Mm -hmm. looking at the systems and not the individuals. There's this, because coaching is an emerging field, because it's unregulated, the public's consciousness is just beginning to understand Mm -hmm. what coaching is and how it can be beneficial. Not many people understand how truly deep and vast the science is, or that there's even an associated science. And so when, when you're going for coach credentialing, whether you're looking at um, a program that's accredited by the ICF or not, the thing that, that I feel the most important is the, mm-hmm. the visibility of evidence-based technique, where you're learning theory, framework, and intervention. Theory explains why this stuff works. Framework is the overall framework that you put your your practice and your interventions into to move someone from point A to point B. And then the interventions themselves are what you, that's your art. It's technique, whether if you're looking at, you know, appreciative inquiry, positive psychology, the VIA character strengths assessment, strengths-based coaching, solution-focused coaching, those are all of your interventions that you use to move someone forward. I wanted to take a quick break from today's episode and ask you if you need to take a break from your business. Maybe you're working too many hours. Maybe you're trying to work on too many things. Maybe you have too many clients who just really aren't aligned with your greater purpose. If this sounds like you, I want to offer you an opportunity to join the Positive Productivity Pod, my monthly mentorship and coaching community. For only a dollar, you can jump in, get started, and enjoy 10 days in the community where you will meet so many awesome entrepreneurs. And then twice a month, you'll be able to hop on a live call with all of us and get the feedback that you need in that very moment for your business. If you're interested in starting today for only a dollar, head on over to thekimsutton.com forward slash pod to get started. Before I became an entrepreneur in this round and before I moved to Ohio, I was an interior designer for 10 years. However, I couldn't legally call myself an interior designer in New York State because in New York State, you need to have credentials. Mm. You need to pass the exam. And it's been now, it's been 12 years 
since I was an interior designer. I'm in Ohio now, and in Ohio, there was no accreditation, or it was actually a pretty hefty exam that you would have to take. Did it help your resume to show that at the end? Heck yes, but it wasn't required here. So I could see the difference between between the two. Please know to listeners who are a coach and are not accredited, I am not discounting your experience or your expertise at all. I don't want any like hate. It's just what I've seen from my experience. But I I know that well, I, I've just, even in interior design, I've seen the difference. And it, it was amazing for me to see the difference between how people call themselves things in different areas and their experience and their expertise is different. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, no one ever has, Absolutely. like, I always assume goodwill, right? If someone is, is calling themselves a coach and putting themselves out there into the universe, it's because they have a desire to serve and they have a desire to be of service. So I always want to champion that. And I, something that John talks about, my business partner is he is an influencer and he was a coach first and a therapist first and a writer first, and then became an influencer. And he always feels poorly when he sees folks who have large numbers of followers and then begin calling themselves coaches with the misinformation that coaching is actually about giving advice rather than leading someone to their own conclusions. And, and he kind of says, guys, guys, like you need to train up on this stuff. It will benefit you in the end. It will keep you ethically sound and it'll protect you from liability. That's actually why I have never considered being a coach. Because I like to, and I would love your feedback and maybe your pushback on this, but considering I, my background in, in marketing, I have preferred to call myself a mentor because I share a lot more and I would love your pushback on this too or your thoughts. But from the coaching perspective, I did see it as more of a therapist role, guiding people into finding their own solutions. Whereas I love to show what's working for me and how people can implement it into their own businesses. Oh, yeah. And I think you're spot on. And this is one of the areas where definitions become incredibly important. And if you're choosing to work as a mentor, if you're choosing to work as a coach, if you are a therapist, or if you're choosing to work as a consultant, because there's such a spotlight on all of these areas, and they all kind of get blurred together, having the proper definitions to sort and define all of those different groupings is important. So I can break it down for you. So a therapist, quote unquote therapist, would be a um, somebody who's a, a licensed psychologist, a licensed counselor, a licensed social worker, or a licensed psychiatrist. All of those folks have gone to graduate school, passed their boards, and upkeep their license. When they are treating a client, I use the word treating on purpose, there is a treatment plan. So there is a power differential and the individual goes to see a therapist because they're experiencing psychological anguish that is getting in the way of life and they need a diagnosis code for that psychological anguish. And the goal is to get to baseline, to get to a position of functioning where you're getting out of bed every day where the psychological anguish, which, oh, by the way, is natural. I mean, people have anxiety and depression that flows throughout life, but it might not be clinical level to get that person to baseline. So they're able to move on with their life. And oftentimes the goal of therapy is a state of awareness and peace. And then coaching picks up where therapy leaves off and takes well people further down the continuum to reach a state of flourishing. And 
there is no treatment plan in coaching. Coaching is a co-equal strategic partnership where coach and client dump out the life Legos and the coach uses the art of inquiry, strategic inquiry, asking questions and then mirroring the client's words back to them so that the client can draw from their own inner wisdom, set strategy, set action steps, and then be held accountable by the coach. A mentor and a consultant are both directive. So someone is hiring a mentor or someone is hiring a consultant directly because of the experience that they have and the wisdom or quote unquote advice that they will impart. So you're actually paying for the knowledge of do this, do that. Coaching has a caveat to it called psychoeducation. So if you're sharing with your clients facts, things that are true and real, not just your opinion about what they should do, that's fair game. So in my own work, I work heavily in psychoeducation and the types of things that I share with my client might be the neurobiology of anxiety. Something I say a lot is, it's not you, it's your brain. Let me explain how that works. And I'm not telling my client what to do. I'm giving them legitimate information about the chemicals and what's happening in the brain so that they can make the best decision about their own time. Hmm. I don't think I've ever had it laid out for me so clear before. So thank you. I just thought mentor sounded good and that it would give me that greater freedom to talk more. I'm an introvert, but when I get really passionate about what's working for me, it all goes spilling out. That's awesome. Those, you know, those are the the passion bubbles. Mhm. Absolutely. So now to call yourself a therapist, at least in the United States, do you need the accreditation? Yeah, becoming a therapist in the United States is a pretty lengthy process. Mm-hmm. You go through two to four years of graduate school. And then once you're through graduate school, you go for licensure. Licensure involves collecting a series of hours and then sitting for an exam before a review board. And therapy is also in the medical model. Right. So where coaching would be in the, in the wellness model. Do you see coaching going down that path as well? I think there's a really long way to go mm-hmm. before we get there mm-hmm. because coaching comes in so many different forms and formats. I mean, we could take a baseball coach, an executive coach, a Reiki healer, and a personal trainer and put them all in the same room and say, okay, guys, let's figure out how you need to work. It's it's really broad. And there, I don't think that there's, I don't think that there's, public consciousness, recognition, or support around standardizing the field. People are kind of like, oh, Oprah has a life coach. That's cool. He hadn't really thought about the baseball coach aspect of it before. But yeah. that makes, I mean, my husband and I were little league, like t-ball coaches for one of the two older kids when they were younger. And I never played baseball outside of gym class and I was not good at it. <laughs> But there I was because they needed, you know, parents to coach in order for the league to run. There I was stepping up to bat, you know, not literally. That wouldn't have been good, but calling myself a coach. Yeah. I will not do that again, by the way. Well, you know, and and there's deep theoretical roots no matter what direction you go in, right? So, uh, you know, a baseball coach, especially at the professional level, is probably really well-versed in sports psychology. And then when we're flipping over to, you know, I saw you talked a lot about the law of attraction. That actually comes from the science of priming. 
that comes from sports psychology. So, you know, for a long time, the world of life coaches was kind of based on intuition. And we're now at the point where I can talk to folks who work from an intuitive perspective and actually put science to what they're telling me to back up their thoughts, techniques, and feelings. So it's everything is kind of shifting. The ground is shifting underneath everybody right now. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Just yesterday on Twitter, I and I haven't been on Twitter in quite some time, although it's probably the network that I have the most followers on. I'm being careful about what I'm saying here. But I I stated a political opinion, which I don't normally do, and I never do on the podcast. And I noticed a whole a big drop-off in followers. And I joked about how voicing my truth and my political opinion, if I could lose weight, like I lost followers from that, then that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember where I was going with that. I had a point, a way to circle that back around to what you were just talking about. There you go, people. Positive productivity is not about perfections. <laughs> and Kim has brain farts. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. We, we were talking about the ground shifting and, and I can oh, really, yeah. Re- yeah, relate to, to kind of what you were saying because, you know, as I said, I kind of became public by accident. And now that I'm out here, I, I realize how people swarm and, mm-hmm. you know, we do live in a world where all you know about someone is the little curated sound bites or, or pixelated right. images. And it's so easy to not see the whole human or understand their full context and just take one, you know, snippet. And in a lot of ways, I feel like that aspect of our own existence has made me a little bit more two-dimensional. That because I have a responsibility to be the steward of my company as a CEO, I am hesitant to allow my full self out into the world. Which is Somewhat ironic because, and I'm not picking on you or jabbing you at all, because right on the web, on your header, on your website, your story can help others. Mm-hmm. And I feel, and I've seen so many clients hold back because they're afraid of the what ifs. And I yeah. was afraid of the what ifs. And they're, and yeah. And letting go of the what ifs and sharing has such a power to change lives. And I think it's it's nuanced too, right? So when I first started out as a coach, I talked a lot and sometimes I still talk about it, but not with the same frequency. I talked about a lot, a lot with my past with eating disorders. I talked a lot about my my past with depression. I talked about what it was like to get divorced at 29. And those were very, very poignant topics to me. As the years have rolled on. It's not that that's any less of my story. It's just so much further in the rear view that it's not on the tip of my tongue anymore. And it, it doesn't you know, excite me as much to talk about eating disorders and depression. I'd rather talk about brains <laughs> and, and, and biology and how, how we really work at a nitty gritty level. And I think that's just a reflection of my own personal evolution. Well, those are just like chapters one through four, and now you're on to the rest of the story. Yeah. What are you most excited about in the upcoming months? And I don't necessarily want a timestamp for your sake, but what excites you the most about what you are working on right now? Yeah, oh, so much. I'm really passionate about the concept of community building because I see isolation as one of the major problems that we have to overcome as a society right now. And 
what I do is obviously I build my organization, but I'm very clear that my coaches must gather and we must create community for and with each other. So I infuse that with professional development experiences. So I know how scary it can be when folks are starting out as baby coaches and how small wins, like writing your first blog post or having your first client can be just, they move mountains in terms of confidence and intellectual curiosity. So I'm blowing the barn doors off. And every year I take my coaches, we're part of the wellness expo for South by Southwest. And I throw them to the wolves and we coach live on the floor at South by Southwest. And there's 15,000 people who come through that expo center every day. And I get to watch my coaches go from terrified to rock stars by the end of that weekend. And it's the best experience in the world. So I have that coming up. We're having a fantastic retreat in June in Los Angeles where everybody comes for a whole weekend, rents Airbnbs all over the city. We gather, our coaches run workshops for each other to expand learning. We have bonfires, we eat pizza. So those are probably my two greatest hits. And the reason that they're my greatest hits is because we're in person and we're really seeing and connecting with each other. I absolutely love that. And especially because through the podcasting community, I've made a lot of incredible friends who are also podcasters. And it's sort of funny because you say you're from Philadelphia. I'm in Ohio, but most of my, who I consider my closest friends are on the other side of the country, LA, San Diego. Mm -hmm. So we're actually working to coordinate an, an annual or semi-annual retreat where a small group of us gets together and punches out the goals for like three to five days together. Oh, how awesome. Masterminding. But the community, yes, you're so right. I mean, the community has been so vitally important. And at the beginning of my journey, I was afraid to show up because I was afraid of not being enough. But as the journey has gone on, I've realized that where I'm not enough in one area, I'm more than enough in another. And there's always somebody out there who can compliment and we can support each other in building our, each other up. Oh, yeah. And that, the concept of enoughness is something that we talk about a lot because when folks come into our organization, that's a really common feeling is I'm not enough. And the answer is who you already are is your unique gift. I wish that was taught to my kids in school. I wish that was taught <laughs> to me in school. So much of the work that I do, I wish was taught in second grade. You know, when I sit with my coaches and we talk about negativity bias and we talk about neuroplasticity and we talk about, you know, literally the fact that your prefrontal cortex, your logic center cannot be turned on at the same time as your emotional center, your limbic system. The way I teach this to little people is the message is you can't make a good decision when you're having big feelings because your logic center is turned off. And when I explain this to my coaches, you know, who are adults, minds are blown. They're like, why didn't we learn this sooner? I don't know. Can you say that one more time? Did you say we can't make big decisions when we're having big feelings? You can't make good decisions. Good decisions. Big feelings. Yeah. So your prefrontal cortex, uh, right in the center of your forehead, third eye, your logic center, literally what your prefrontal cortex does is it decides what to drive focus to from one task to the next. And it's what uh, sustains our logical decision-making. 
our limbic system, our emotional brains governs emotions, both good or bad. There's a good reason why they turn on and off. And that is your fight or flight response. Uh So it's an evolutionary trait. When our ancestors were learning how to survive, they didn't need their logic center to be present. If there was a woolly mammoth charging them, they needed their muscle memory to kick in and their emotional response to be afraid and to run. Uh And now here we are with this mechanism where you're the evolutionary trait towards negativity bias to look at fear and the fight or flight response often hijacks our systems and shuts down that logic center. And in modern life, there are very few things that we can actually outrun. This is also relevant right now. Last week, there was an assembly at the high school here in my town. Next year, so in the next school year, I have one child entering his freshman year of high school and another entering his senior year. And then, Noel, would you believe I'll also have two kindergartners and a first grader? That's awesome. <laughs> so I'll have two kindergartners and a senior. But anyway, so we were getting the rundown of what high schoolers need to know about. You know, when the freshman comes in, here's how he needs to plan for the next four years. But then we had to be there for the, the incoming senior because he's in college level courses. And for some unknown reason, we didn't have this session when that one was entering high school. So we got all this information that we were never aware of. But one of them was that we didn't realize that in our school district, seventh graders can take college level courses. And these college level courses could actually entail that they go to the college campus and are sitting in the auditoriums or in the lecture halls with who knows what age. I mean, my husband started college when he was 31 or 33. I went straight out of high school, but I know my stepmother went to school when she was 50. She went to college when she was 50. So one of the things that they were letting us know, and I have a point for all this and I do remember it this time, was you know, as parents who have kids taking college level courses, there's actually regulations on how much we can be involved. Whereas we can be involved in their high school education and call the guidance counselor and get our questions asked. We can't do that when they're college students. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So, I mean, I came home and I talked to my husband because our our kindergartner now is exceptionally bright. We will never force her to do anything that she doesn't want to do or that we don't truly feel she was ready for is ready for. But in that moment, I was like, there is no way that when she gets into seventh grade, I'm going to put her into that environment. Could that be holding her back? Possibly. If she decides she's really ready, then great. But where I'd like to see her even before then is going through all the learnings that we have just discussed. But looking back at the person that I was when I was in seventh grade, I don't think I was equipped for it. I don't think I would have been ready to learn a lot of these life lessons and know. I don't think I would have truly understood the power of mindset and therapy and life coaching because I had not gone through a lot of the life experiences, which took me through the 20, 30 years after that. Oh, yeah. There's a book and I'm searching the drawers of my memory for the name of it. I I think it's called Late Bloomers. I heard about it on an NPR report. And the premise was that, you know, there's such a push to have kids grow up really fast. And it's apparent in, you know, where am I going to go to high school? Where am I going to go to college in startup culture? I have to build a company and make it rich before I'm like, you know, 25. And there's a reason why wisdom comes in middle age. 
because you you knock around and you have your life experiences and then you reach a threshold where you do have gravitas. I don't think that I would be able to do the job that I do with the efficacy that I that I do it with had I undertaken this at an earlier age. I had not enough impulse control. I wanted to ask that because yeah. I started my first business and and I'm totally dating myself or aging myself right now. I was 25 when I started my first business and I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. But it did provide a lot of the learning and the experiences and the failures that I learned from to do what I do now. But I'm I'll be 41 in a month. My 40th year of life provided more learning than I would have to say the first 40 years did. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm around the same age. I turned 40 this year. And I really enjoy aging because mm-hmm. of the kind of settling into my skin, the confidence of shedding things that I thought were important but really aren't. And you know, I did a lot in my time, you know, for for as old as I am. It was kind of a life reboot when I got divorced and then I went through a triple degree program, two masters and a PhD, collected my coaching certification. I've been through five graduate programs. It's kind of nutty. Um, I haven't graduated from them, but I've undertaken the study and then built a company and became CEO. So, you know, looking at that, it's like, wow, I was busy. I was busy and I did a lot and I learned a lot, but I think there's a difference between learning and synthesis. And when you reach a point where you can kind of view your learning in context, that's when you start to synthesize, put things together and truly build. Mm. Personal question. Do you have kids? I do not. Okay. Because while you were talking about the five degrees, I was thinking about the five kids. And I can, yeah. see, I can see the the parallel between what you went through with your degree programs and me growing up with my kids. Yeah, and it was the yeah. experiences, and now I've got that synthesis, where even just that, and there's there's stigma that goes along with titles like mompreneur or mom boss or boss mom or whatever you want to call it, but that really does shape my work now, and I have no doubt that your past experiences have totally shaped your life. I mean, you've just expressed to us how how it has, so I'm loving it. Oh yeah, and you know and. And it's so interesting to be at this point because I always, I always thought that I was going to be a mom. You know, that was really something. It was an identity that I attached to. And when I got divorced, it kind of turned my whole world upside down. And I had expected to have kids by then. And then as time marched on, it didn't happen for me. And not that it couldn't now. I'm I'm 39, but I don't think it will. And that's okay. And I had to kind of grieve that for myself. And then also being in community and partnership with all of my wonderful friends and family members who have kids and, you know, recognizing what a big deal it is with a capital B and how it does alter every single facet of your existence. I was just about to say, hey, anytime you want to borrow mine, (laughs) I am not that far. <laughs> One state over across both states, but I will have you can borrow mine for put them in an Uber. Just send yep, them. <laughs> entire season, and then 
any, yeah, they are yours. I spent 48 hours with a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And I came home and my husband said, what happened to you? Mm-hmm. Like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I got to say about that. People, I love my kids, but mm-hmm. I have loved all aspects of our conversation here today. So thank you so much for joining me. Would you share with listeners where they can find you online, where they connect and where they can get to know more? Sure. Journey.co, J-R-N-I.co is our site. And if you type in journey.co backslash podcast, you'll see a special offer for anyone who listens to my podcast, your podcast for our coach training program. And it is the journey coaching intensive. So if you liked listening to me, you'd probably like training under me as well. And I'm happy to have conversations with any of your listeners that are curious. Fabulous. And listeners, if you're driving, trying not to burn dinner on the elliptical, whatever, you can go to the kimsutton.com forward slash PP674 and find all the links right there. Noel, thank you so much again. It has been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for actually letting me know that choosing mentor as the title. I mean, that you just gave me so much confidence in using that, that name. Awesome. So thank you. You're welcome. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? Goodness gracious. So I will leave you with my favorite powerful coaching question. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.